This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, Hunter Biden has been indicted. And that's right. The first son was indicted on nine tax charges in California on Thursday as a special counsel investigation into the business dealings of the president's son intensifies against the backdrop of the looming 2024 election. These new charges, which include three felonies and six misdemeanors, are in addition to federal firearms charges in Delaware alleging that uh, Biden broke laws against drug users having guns in 2018. They come after the the implosion of a plea deal over the summer that would have spared him jail time, putting the case on track to a possible trial as his father campaigns for re-election. Now, Biden, Hunter Biden, spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle rather than paying his tax bills. That's what the special counsel, David Weiss, said in a statement. The charges are centered on at least $1.4 million in taxes that Hunter Biden owed between 2016 and 2019, a period where he has acknowledged struggling with addiction. The back taxes have since been paid. If convicted... Hunter Biden could face a maximum of 17 years in prison. And the special counsel probe remains open, so there may be other indictments. I'm going to make two predictions here. Um, one, you know how with all the – you ever watch a criminal trial from start to finish, from arrest to conviction or acquittal? For the most part, it is the most – this most agonizing, slow process. You know, the old phrase, the wheels of justice turn very, very slowly. It's true. These cases sometimes go on for years. I knew one fella that waited seven years in prison before he got a trial. Seven years in jail, technically. But um, the one exception to that appears to be Donald Trump. With all four of these Trump indictments, the two state cases and the two federal cases, they're able to somehow fast track those to a rocket docket and make sure those all go to trial right away. Here's my first prediction. One, this Hunter Biden case will not see the inside of a courtroom, at least vis-a-vis a trial, anytime soon. 
you will not see the same sort of expedient going to a trial with Hunter Biden that you do with Donald Trump. That's my first prediction. The second is, honestly, and I hate to say this because if Hunter Biden committed crimes, whether they're gun crimes or tax crimes, he should absolutely be prosecuted. And I'm glad he's finally being indicted on crimes that he committed years ago. But this doesn't matter. None of this matters. Because if Biden is not reelected, he's going to pardon Hunter Biden between November of 2024 and January of 2025. That's it. He will pardon him for all of these crimes. Done. I, I guarantee it. I will bet any anyone in this audience, every dollar I have, which is not that much admittedly, against every dollar that you have – that Hunter Biden will be pardoned by Joe Biden in November, uh, between November of 2024 and January of 2025. Guarantee it. If um, Hunt, if Joe Biden is reelected, I can't say when the pardon will come, but he's just going to pardon him after he's reelected in the second term. What are you going to do? Vote against me? I'm term limited. So one way or another, whether Joe Biden is reelected or not, Hunter Biden will never see the inside of a prison cell. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. The If you listen to anybody that knows the Biden family and even some of the things these two men have said about one another, their, their relationship with one another is so close. It, it's not a typical father and son. Obviously, I think it was made closer because of the um, – you know, the nature of what happened with Joe Biden's wife, her dying in that horrible accident and um, Joe Biden kind of supporting his son when, you know, when he was dealing with the throes of addiction and everything else. They are super close and there is no way that Joe Biden is letting his son Hunter go to prison when he has the power to stop it. No way. It is absolutely not happening. Guaranteed. Um, you can disagree. 800-848-9222. You can agree or offer your comment. 800-848-9222. As for the uh, specific legalities here or illegalities in these new criminal counts, I haven't had a chance to read the indictment. So I'm going to have somebody come on on uh, Monday. I'm going to have a whole legal panel. We're going to analyze a whole bunch of legal issues including this one, and we'll see where they come down on the law of this. Unfortunately, and I tried to focus on this in my discussion with the law professor from St. Louis on Monday on this, maybe it was last Monday, the issues of crime and law are inexorably linked. These days, you can't just look at any issue, any legal issue, as strictly a legal issue. Everything is both a legal issue and a political issue. And when it's someone with the last name of Trump or with the last name of Biden, that is not doubly so. It's quintuply so. So you can't really separate the politics from the law here. But we're going to try when we do some legal analysis on this on um, on Monday. You know, I was thinking a lot recently. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Five open lines. Matt Blay standing by. I was thinking a lot on uh, over the last few days about, well, you know. If I endorse a candidate in the presidential election, when should I endorse? Who should I endorse? And then I thought to myself, you know, 
Who cares who I endorse? So I thought to myself, what difference does it make if I endorse anybody? I think most endorsements really don't matter. And the only reason I was thinking about it, because I watch uh, Tucker Carlson's show on Twitter. And he gave, I think it was at a speech in Vegas, which was quite good. And basically he said that he's never supported any political candidate. Because as a journalist, he always felt that it was his role not to not to do that. But he feels so compelled to support Trump this time around because of um, because of all these indictments that he's undergoing that he feels for the first time almost an obligation to announce that he's supporting a candidate in this case, Trump. I um, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence here. About whether I should announce who I haven't decided really, uh, but at this point, you know, I've said I'm probably leaning in a in a Robert F. Kennedy direction. But whenever I do make my decision, I, I don't know if I should say it or just treat all the candidates as I've been treating them, where, you know, whenever they do something that I agree with, I say so. Whenever they do something that I disagree with, I say so. So I, I'm kind of leaning maybe towards that. If you have a view on that, uh, whether not just me. But any radio talk show host should make endorsements. Let me know. 800-848-9222. You know, one of the people that I really so uh, admired was uh, Bob Grant. I I thought he was a tremendous entertainer and just the wittiest person alive. So smart. And so many of the people that analyze the appeal of Bob Grant's show don't understand what made Bob Grant a success. In my view, anyway. It had nothing to do with politics. When you were listening to Bob, you were basically attuned to a few hours of his own misery. And I think if he were liberal, he would have been just as successful because the show wasn't about right wing politics. It was about him um, getting frustrated with callers and and fighting with callers and uh, pontificating and meandering and uh, talking about history. And uh, I I would talk to Bob because so many people would say, oh, yeah, it was Bob Grant that got uh, Christine Todd Whitman elected in 1993. Or it was Bob Grant that got uh, George Pataki elected in 1994. And I would talk to Bob later in his life about all these. I said, Bob, was that true? Do you think you were really responsible for that? And Bob, who's not one for humility, said not only to me, but he said this publicly. He said, no. He said, no, I don't believe that anybody on the radio really has the power to sway elections. And uh, a lot of people give Rush Limbaugh credit for the 1994 Republican revolution that took place with a contract with America and so on and so forth. Do you care if anyone on the radio endorses anybody? Because in my case, I really don't. You take a lot of my favorite talk show hosts, go down the line They could vote for whoever they want to vote for. I'm still going to vote for who I want to vote for. I kind of feel like that's how most people are. Tell me if you disagree. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me wish a happy Friday to the lovely Lisa in Connecticut. Hi, Lisa. Hey. So I saw in the news today with my dad that they're doing something about trying to get prisoners able to vote now. Um, in In which place? Did you see that? I saw it on Fox News, but um, I think Judge Janine Pirro and um, the, those guys, they were talking about it. So uh, we have to look into that because it's, it's very interesting. 
Yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I know there's some controversy about uh, what's going on in Delaware. I don't know if it's in Delaware. You know, I, I have mixed feelings about that because I've uh, I've spoken with a lot of people that have been in prison, and and my m- fundamentally, I support that. Mm-hmm. I do think they should be able to vote. However, in talking with uh, people that have been in prison. I've kind of come away from that. Uh, And here's my reason why. It's really practical. In so many prisons, you have uh, what what they call a a shot caller, where you have on the the cell block basically a person that tells everybody else what to do. And there are all sorts of instances where people might be uh, persuaded or coerced into voting for people or voting the certain a certain right. way on things because they're being uh, you know compensated somehow or they're being threatened with violence or they're um, you know they feel some sort of allegiance to the the shot caller and that's not a pressure that's at play in uh, in real life. In fact, I um you know when I about three years ago I hosted a debate on that issue between two people that had been in prison and one of them was all for it said absolutely they should have it and the other person for some of the reasons that I just mentioned said no it's completely impra- impractical and you'd have no way of knowing if these people who were actually voting one way or another whether that was a true reflection of how they wanted to vote so i uh, i lean against that now even though fundamentally i, I like the idea of it I do, too. I think that's um, really interesting, though, that that popped up on the news today. And I didn't know if you were aware of it. Yeah, I I don't know which specific proposal. I know Delaware and the ACLU have a a lawsuit about that. But I'm going to look into it further, Lisa. Thank you. Have a great weekend. 800-848-9222. Alan is in Orange County. What's on your mind, Alan? Hey, Frank, thanks for taking my call. So you were talking about the Hunter Biden uh, indictments, and my feeling on it is, and follow my reasoning on this, they're going to go through with it, like you said, because they know full well either it's not going to make it into the court or that, that he's going to be pardoned. But the their side's going to use it as, well, we prosecuted Hunter Biden, uh, and now so we're going to prosecute Trump as well. The only difference is that Trump's not going to have anyone to pardon him. Well, I mean, he doesn't win. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, I, I don't, but I don't know what that would necessarily do politically. You know, uh, during the Trump administration, Trump's Justice Department prosecuted Paul Manafort. They prosecuted uh, Roger Stone. They prosecuted all sorts of people that uh, that Trump was was friendly with. So Trump did the same thing with those guys, including Michael Flynn, that Biden's going to do with Hunter. I mean, and, and this is not unusual, unfortunately. George, uh, George Bush did the same thing with Casp Weinberger. I think George W. Bush did the same thing with Scooter Libby. I mean, what's the point of being president if you can't pardon your friends and family? That's unfortunately, that's the norm. That's what these guys do. It's, it's one of the key benefits of being president is you get everybody that you like and know a get-out-of-jail-free card. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, David. Yes, good morning. Um, I want to comment on endorsements, but I want to say something um, because Lisa brought up a point about prisoners possibly being allowed to vote. A lot of people don't realize that prisoners are counted for purposes of representation. 
like if Rikers Island, for instance, the people there are counted when it comes to congressional districting and all of that. Why can't they be allowed to vote? They're, they're being represented in a sense. So they should have a say, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know if you agree. Well, again, I I stated basically where I am on this. I love the idea if we could guarantee that um, that prisoners were, you know, that they were voting of their own free will. I'm all for letting them vote. And uh, we've come a long way on this because up until recently, most states, well, many states didn't even allow ex-felons to vote. And now almost all of them do. I just I do have concerns about them being coerced by either other inmates or even in some cases the uh, the correction the correction officers and and right, also there was also a big and I don't mean to interrupt I'll, I'll let you say whatever you want but um, there was also a big controversy over where prisoners are counted in the census and uh, a lot of uh, communities what was happening was they were counting the prisoners in the census as you say, where they were incarcerated rather than where they lived as uh, as you know as free men and a lot of people in those communities and it, this was big in New York because there was a big upstate downstate divide over this they wanted them counted downstate where they lived rather than in some of these western New York and upstate prisons and I think they came to uh, the conclusion that they were going to continue to count them where they were incarcerated but I'll, I'll double check on that. Right. I I agree with you about the possibility of coercion. But on the subject of endorsements, I have personally never understood why people even bother. Anyone who is so, uh, what's the word, feeble-minded that they need a radio host, a politician, or a um, celebrity to tell them how to vote probably shouldn't be voting in the first place. That's the way I look at it. If you can't make up your mind on your own, and you, you're being influenced by Taylor Swift or somebody like that, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to vote because I, I question your ability to make reasonable decisions if you're so, so um, what's the word? willy-nilly. Yeah, you know, I, I, te- I tend to agree with you, David. I mean, look, I think you know the reality that most people don't pay as close attention to uh, public affairs or electoral politics as, as the two of us do. And I think where endorsements really can count is on a local level where you may not be familiar with any of the candidates running, particularly in a nonpartisan special election. If you've never heard of Joe Smith and he's running against Joe Blow and you know nothing about either candidate... But someone that you really respect is endorsing Joe Blow. Maybe you go with Joe Blow. I think there are some instances where uh, a political figure is super popular that that uh, does translate to someone else. I think the the best example I could think of in recent history is uh, post-September 11th, Rudy Giuliani endorsing Mike Bloomberg. Uh, Giuliani, even in New York City, was elevated to almost a semi demigod-like figure. And I think that probably did get Mike Bloomberg a couple of votes uh, that he would not not have otherwise gotten. But by and large, I uh, I agree. I think endorsements, they're like chicken soup. They don't hurt. But uh, I really don't think that whether it's radio people or political figures, that they do very much at all. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, David. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Handling legal matters is stressful. 
So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Dancing Queen, uh, this is a birthday bumper music selection from Serena Stonick, who is celebrating her birthday today. Happy birthday, Serena. All right. Um, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything that we are talking about. A couple of things I have to mention. Saudi Arabia, our friends over at Saudi Arabia, and uh, honestly, I know you may not believe this because I end up talking a lot about these Saudi Arabia stories in a negative way. I mean, I'll, honestly, I view almost everything the Saudi government does as potentially being negative. I actually refrain from doing all of the Saudi Arabia stories that cra- cross my computer screen or my desk because I don't want to be seen as just a Saudi hater because I'm not. It's just they are always doing something that's terrible. Let me tell you what they're doing now. I don't know if this falls in the category of terrible or in the category of where you stand depends on where you sit. Well, Saudi Arabia is urging nations to take action on what it suggests is a growing threat to the Earth's climate. Now, I'm reading this article. I'm reading this headline. I think, whoa. Well, Saudi Arabia, a country that has uh, built an enormous fortune because of the petrodollar, because of people's addiction to hydrocarbons, they're warning about a threat to the Earth's climate? I must be still dreaming. I read this early in the day. Whoa, 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 whoa. Listen what they think the threat is. Saudi Arabia is urging nations... To take action on what it suggests is a growing threat to the Earth's climate. What does Saudi Arabia think is the biggest threat to the Earth's climate? Well, according to Politico's Corbin Heyer, what they believe the biggest threat to the Earth's climate is, is wind and solar power. Yes, that's right. The pitch from the world's biggest oil player includes a Saudi government document, which was obtained by Politico, expressing concern about the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions of wind, 
solar, and other renewable energy sources, whose popularity has grown as countries look for alternatives to planet-heating fossil fuels. Now, look, you've heard me be critical of uh, things like electric vehicles, um, which I, I think the benefits of electric vehicles are way oversold. But really, really, they're <laughs> these guys want you to believe that the biggest threat to the climate is wind, solar, and other renewable energy sources. This comes as the kingdom is stepping up its broader arguments that expensive, largely unproven methods of removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere and oceans are an essential part of the strategy for countering climate change. In contrasts, Scientists, environmental activists, representatives of vulnerable island nations say that the most urgently needed fix for climate change is to stop producing exactly the kind of fuel that is making Saudi Arabia rich. Now, I'm all for having the debate on climate change. I've tried to host that debate here and we will again. I'm all for looking into what what nuclear will do for the world, what um you know, fossil fuels will do for the world and yeah, what renewables will do, but uh, why anybody should take what the Saudi government says seriously on this or anything else is it's just beyond me. It's it's ludicrous, quite frankly, it's ludicrous. It's impossible for them to be in objective and everybody should view this or any statement from Saudi Arabia as exactly what it is. Just propaganda, just propaganda. 800-848-9222, Charles is in the Queens. Hi, Charles. Hi, good morning, good morning. Good morning, happy show, Hanukkah. As usual. Sure. Uh, thank you very much. Happy holiday to you, too. Um, I, I remember, I found it fascinating when the assassin of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin of Israel, in I believe it was 1995, by Yigal Amir, I say alleged at Yigal Amir, because when it comes to assassinations of the Prime Minister of Israel or the President of America, Kennedy, I don't really know what happened. <laughs> I don't think we're privy to the actual truth. But anyways, but he's the one that killed him and he went to prison. And the reason he uh, assassinated Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin is because he didn't want him to run. He didn't want the Labour Party. He wanted the Likud Party to win. Yet, if I remember correctly, he was allowed to vote in prison. He really? Rabin, so Labour shouldn't win, and Rabin shouldn't win, and I believe he, he voted, but not for Labour, he voted for Likud. I found that fascinating. I found the democracy of Israel unbelievably liberal. You know, he, he particularly was allowed to vote. I, obviously, I'm... Um, purposely. Yeah, and, and you're right, as far as the motives for the um, you know assassination and everything. In fact, if I'm remembering correctly, Rabin's widow specifically called out Netanyahu and the other Likud leaders for fomenting this kind of rhetoric that led to uh, that led to her husband being being murdered. Do you remember if when he voted, and obviously I'm not familiar with the electoral laws for prisoners in Israel, but do you remember if when uh, when he voted, when Amir voted, it was before he was convicted or after? Oh, I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. He was allowed to vote. Uh, uh, oh, convicted or not. Oh, I see. Um, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Gotcha. I'm, I'm going to look sure. into that because that is interesting. Why should you be able you know, to... You know, but just saying, uh, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt, sorry. 
but you're saying that uh, that supposedly they were angry at the right wing party. From what I remember, there were leftists parading as right wingers and causing trouble to make it appear as if the Likud, the right wingers, are pulling stuff. The left does the same thing in Israel as they do in America, uh, for whatever reason. Lot of, like most of the newspapers and media, all the media, almost in Israel, is left-leaning, just like in America. And only um, Mark Levin once explained, I was always wondering, why is the media 95% left, or 93%, whatever it is, in America as well as Israel? And Levin was saying that those people, the left, they want to influence so they go to places, whether it's academia or media, where they can have an influence on people. It's the best answer I've heard so far. Well, I, look, and also I, I think in, in this country, um, y- you have such a, you know, it's the conventional, you know, what they co- used to call the mainstream media, ABC News, uh, CBS News, CNN, and then the partisan media of uh, MSNBC and, and entities like that, New York Times. There's so many alternatives. I mean, you got talk radio, you got Fox News, you got Newsmax, you got One America News, you got the Wall Street Journal, you got the New York Post. So now if you don't want to hear a left wing slant in America, there's so many other outlets that you can find uh, news. And uh, and thanks to the call, Charles. I did look this up. Israel does allow inmates to vote even um, even after they're sentenced. Yeah. That is very interesting. I'd be interested to learn there's no ban on prisoners' right to vote, but they can't vote de facto. So I would, I'd would like to look more into that um, in terms of what exactly the rules are. But, yeah, it appears prisoners, even after conviction, while they're serving in prison in Israel, are able to vote. Very interesting. 800-848-9222. I have to mention this. Y- you know... This is not quite a see, I told you so, but it almost is because I have been very concerned that these mobile phones are allowing everybody to spy on us. And I was always a little concerned about this, but especially since the revelations from um, Edward Snowden where it shows the government tracking your metadata without a warrant and everything. Well, now we're learning, thanks to Senator Ron Wyden, a Democrat of Oregon, who, by the way, you know his wife owns the Strand Bookstore in New York. Did you know that? And she's been a guest on this show. She's great. And the Strand is great. It's one of my favorite places to buy books, one of my favorite places to sell books. She's married to Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon. Isn't that wild? But anyway... Government investigators in this country and in foreign countries have used push notification data to pursue people of interest. Uh, Senator Wyden said this in a letter to the Justice Department, and this is revealing publicly for the first time how Americans can be tracked through a basic service provided by their smartphones. So the experts are saying that if you have Android or uh, iOS push notifications, you may want to adjust your permissions accordingly because if you have push notifications turned on for sensitive apps, not only can they track you, they are tracking you. The U.S. government and foreign law enforcement can demand 
Apple and Google share metadata associated with push notifications from apps on the Android system and on iOS. This is according to Senator Ron Wyden and court records. And these notifications can reveal which apps a person uses, along with other information that may be pertinent to law enforcement investigations. So Senator Ron Wyden, in this uh, letter that he wrote to the Justice Department, is specifically asking the DOJ to allow Apple and Google to discuss government requests for push notification records with their users. Currently, they're not. Has anybody discussed it with you? They haven't discussed it with me. Wyden says, and I think he's right, the U.S. government has required them to keep this secret thus far. So imagine that. The government can get all your metadata from your phone. They don't even have to tell you about it. They don't even have to tell you about it. Apple doesn't have to tell you about it. Google doesn't have to tell you about it. So um, this is from the letter. In the spring of 2022, my office received a tip that government agencies in foreign countries were demanding smartphone push notification records from Google and Apple. Uh, My staff have been investigating this tip for the past year, which included contacting Apple and Google. In response to that query, the companies told my staff that information about this practice is restricted from public release by the government. Restricted from public release by the government. Who is the government representing if not the public? Where the public? Where supposed to be the government? You can't tell us if you're spying on us? Give me a break. You know, uh, a friend of mine years ago, a uh, very liberal guy, I think he calls himself a socialist, I don't know. But we were talking about people that view big government as as bad. And he said, you know what you need to do when you're debating any of these right-wingers? You need to say, replace the word government with the words the people of the town. Well, this is not true here because the people of the town are the public. And yet these companies, these corporations, which exist at the, you know, basically because the government allows them to do their thing, they are not able to tell the public who's supposedly being served by the government whether or not They're giving their data to law enforcement. So these app developers deliver push notifications using Apple's push notification service on iOS or Google's Firebase cloud messaging on Android. Each user of an app is assigned what they call a push token, which is transferred between the app and the mobile operating system's push notification service. Push tokens are not permanently assigned to a single user, and new tokens may be generated when a person reinstalls an app or switches to a new device. So to identify a person of interest and whom they may be have been communicating with, law enforcement must first go to an app developer to obtain the relevant push token and then bring it to the operating system maker, Apple or Google, and then request information. According to Senator Wyden... The records that governments can obtain from Apple and Google include metadata that reveals which apps a person has used, when they've received notifications, and the phone associated with a particular Google or Apple account. 
And the content of the push notifications is not included in this information, but for at least some apps, law enforcement could obtain information about the content of specific pushes. Jeez, I don't like that at all. And I'm glad Ron Wyden is out there, you know, getting the word out about this. 800-848-9222, Joel is in Manhattan. Hi, Joel. Hi, Frank. Very interesting information about all that push notification business and the spying that's being done. You always dig up some very interesting factoids. And along those lines, reversing to the earlier conversation, David was siding with you on the aspect of not giving your opinion out. But I think that it is a good thing that you do, and I'll tell you why. Because I think it breeds more conversation around it, especially with you being a talk show host, you putting out your endorsements, you're putting it out there where the rest of us can't necessarily do it into our our family or friends because of this crazy cancel culture where we exist in. So I think you have the ability to create a voice for all of us to listen to and out of that comes other thoughts from other callers disagreeing or perhaps agreeing but you know the conversation expands from there it becomes a form of a conversation rather than a closed circuit that just stays in our minds well let me ask you let me ask you this joel i I think that makes sense and um and honestly you know i i just I, i kind of feel that um whenever i have made a decision as to who i'm voting for i i should tell people because I don't want people to think I'm analyzing a certain issue because I'm a secret Biden supporter or a secret Trump supporter. And that's why I'm breaking it down this way. If people know that I'm for uh, Trump or Biden or uh, Kennedy or uh, Liz Cheney or whomever, that allows them to at least hear whatever I'm saying through that filter. So I probably will say, uh, you know, who, whoever I end up voting for. But let me ask you this, Joel. Don't you, mm-hmm. do you think that I risk having um call uh, you know listeners that may not agree with who I'm voting for stop listening to the show because they don't agree with me they say all right well this guy doesn't like joe biden i'm going to find a show that does yeah but then it's like okay hmm. i understand but then then it's like you're buying into the whole cancel culture thing because that's just right. an extension of right. that and i know that everybody has the right to you know, when you're watching TV and I don't watch it anymore or listening to the radio, you can flip it over the other side of dial to another number or whatever. But I would assert that most of your audience, most of your audience is well beyond that. And even like the most vehement callers who argue, you know, extreme extremities with political attitudes, they keep calling, don't they? They stick around. They want to be heard. And it may even it may even cause more callers to happen. I would say that you would overall that your concern would not come into fruition. Maybe with a few people, but very few. All right, I because like that, Joel. That's very reasonable. Only one Frank Morano. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully, that's what a lot of people are saying. That's very nice of you, Joel. Thank you. You're welcome. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I, um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm just look, uh, looking at Twitter for the first time in a while. There's some whacked out tweets. I'm going to save them for Tuesday when they go through the, um, when, when, when we go through the mail, because there's some good stuff here that I just uh, don't understand. 800-848-9222. I got to bring this up with you as well. 
you know, um, I remember when I was first learning about highlighting, it might have been in high school, it might have been in college, about if you're reading a book or reading some text, the why, what you should highlight and why. I forget who it was, but I had a teacher that said, if you're highlighting everything, essentially you're really highlighting nothing. Because there's really no differentiation between what you're choosing to highlight and what you're not. So I had that in mind as I read this article yesterday. Nearly everyone at Yale gets A's. A report found that close to 80% of grades were in the A range last academic year. And this was a a pandemic-era bump where everyone was getting A's, and that stuck. And so now people are wondering and asking the question, does that cheapen the grade? What good is an A at Yale if everybody is getting an A? And sure enough, that's what's going on. Nearly 80% of all grades given to undergrads at Yale last year were A's or A-minuses. And this is part of a big increase that began during the pandemic, and it stuck around. The average grade point average was 3.7 out of 4. That's also a pretty significant increase over pre-pandemic years. The findings have frustrated some students, as you might imagine, and alumni and professors. What does excellence mean at Yale if everybody gets the equivalent of an excellence? So this trend, I don't know if it's going on at other schools, but this trend has scrambled the very meaning of grades themselves. Students no longer think B means good. And A is the new normal. It's either A or nothing. Um, Yale's cluster of A's and A minuses has been rising for years. But just to show you how much, In the 2010-2011 academic year, 67% of all grades were A's. Now it's 80%. Five years ago, it was 73%. So does an A still matter if everyone's getting an A? Uh, The statistics come from a report by Ray Fair, who's an economics professor at Yale. So... uh, and apparently this is not a situation that's unique to Yale. They've done some similar analyses at Harvard. And since the pandemic, they've seen grades go up. Now, maybe it's a reflection of the fact that most of the people that go to Harvard and Yale are pretty good at mastering academic material. But wouldn't that have been the case 20 years ago? Why isn't everybody getting an A now? I don't know. Curious if you have a view on that. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Cindy Lauper singing about girls who want to have fun. Hey, uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, just uh, just join our Facebook group. Go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters, and uh, you can also interact with other listeners of the show on there and uh, share feedback. Uh, be nice if there were people that really like the show and want to defend me when all my critics come to. Uh, come from my head but you know the critics are welcome too i am thrilled when whenever i see people take something that i've said on this show or done on this show and uh, go on and on about how terrible it is and how terrible i am you know what i'm thinking thank you for listening and i mean that sincerely if you hate everything i'm doing and you're still listening and participating i think that is great so uh you know that's on facebook just uh, search morano radio fans and haters uh, happy Hanukkah again to everybody that is celebrating. In our house, we are continuing our Gentile tradition of having Gentiles light the Hanukkah candles. I think tonight my cousin Deanna is coming over to uh, light the uh, Hanukkah candles. I had a uh, very nice interaction with uh, former congressman. I, I think disgraced former congressman is the uh, is the apt description, George Santos. And he is going to be on this program next week. Looks like he's going to be on Tuesday morning. So I um, I am looking forward to that conversation very much. I've got a lot of questions for him. Not only, You know what my first question for him is? And maybe it's the easiest question and maybe it's the most challenging one for him is why? Why would you do this? Why would you lie about everything? I mean, I don't know. Well, so we'll get into that uh, on, uh, on Tuesday. We had a fun day in the Morano household today. We... Um, we, Carmine and I went back to the playground. You know, I've gotten him hooked on this indoor playground, but it was, you know, it was nice enough. It was a little chilly, but it was nice enough that uh, that we could go to the outdoor playground. So, you know, th- if the choice is go to the outdoor playground, get some fresh air, run around, even if it's 40 degrees or it might have been less more than 40 degrees or pay $25 and go to the indoor playground. I'm going to go to the outdoor playground, the public park that my tax dollars are paying for. So we went there and I was so proud of him in uh, our recent visits to the playground. He's been very reluctant to go down the slide by himself. He goes down the small slide by himself, but the big slide, he, he wants to go down with me or with my wife. But he went down this big slide 25 times by himself. He just kept saying self, self, self. And then I think that's great. All right. But then he says, no, daddy, too, daddy, too. So I would have to go down one slide. He goes down the other. But it's it's all right. At least I got a little bit of uh, exercise. I'll probably post some of the um, photos and videos of uh, our experience at the playground on my Instagram at Morano Vision. If you care to take a look, uh, that's uh, at M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. Uh, we had a a fun day at the playground, n- no doubt about it. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Those of you that have been waiting for my infamous email on New Year's Eve Eve, I am still working on that, and uh, that is that is hopefully something that I will be able to get done today. Everybody's been asking me about it. I am working on it. Don't worry, I am trying. It will get out eventually. Eventually. All right. Uh, let me say hello to Joe in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hi, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Frank? I am uh, as happy as a cat with a laser pointer. 
I, I love your program. Thank uh, you. I, I, I just wanted to mention uh, um, there was a controversy here over these new cars not having AM radio because of an emergency. And I, I, um, I would love to see pay phones come back, you know, landlines. I, I hate paying $60 a month for a cell phone because there's no more pay phones. And, and um, it would seem to me it, these things would be very important in an emergency to have available. If there's an EMP, you can forget about cell phones and radio and TV, uh, but hardwired phones will still be there. It's like uh, Article One of the Constitution. We have to have a post office and postal routes. There's a reason for that. Uh, and um, it, it's just the old ways were better, I guess. If you had something bad to say about somebody, you wrote it on the wall at a, at a bathroom. You, you didn't put it online for the rest of eternity, you know? Joe, I agree with you uh, very much on the on the first part, right, about the, the need for pay phones. You know, it was only about two years ago that New York got rid of its last pay phone, and I think that was a, uh, a, a terrible thing. And I realized maybe they had no choice because they were still servicing these pay phones and not enough use to generate it. But I love the pay phone for not only some of the reasons that you mentioned, but a bunch of others. As, I don't want to come down too hard on the Internet, though. I love the Internet. The Internet opens up a whole lot of new opportunities for information and entertainment. All right, we got denunciations in a minute. In a minute. I just shared the video of Carmine going down the slide on my Instagram, at MoranoVision, if you want to check it out. Until next hour, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.